Welcome to the Experience Darden Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Twitty, and you are listening to a new episode. This episode of the podcast resumes something of an annual tradition here on the Experience Darden Podcast. Every year when we have new consortium liaisons named, we invite them on the show to talk a little bit more about their story and what attracted them to their role. Uh, to this end, recently caught up with three first-year students in our full-time MBA class of 2023, Alexis Orr, Minnie Lahoti, and Angel Monroy. They are the newly named consortium liaisons here at the Darden School of Business. And I connected with them, well, to talk about their MBA journeys and what they're excited about in the year ahead as they plan for and contemplate their role as consortium liaisons. If you're interested in learning more about the consortium, what this community is all about here at the Darden School of Business, the benefits of consortium mentorship for MBA students, the list goes on. Any of that sounds of interest to you, this episode is essential listening. So without further ado, here is my interview with consortium liaisons, newly named here at the Darden School of Business, three first-year students in our full-time MBA class of 2023, Alexis Orr, Minnie Lahoti, and Angel Monroy. Alexis, Minnie, Angel, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you, Brett. Thank you. Well, it's great to have y'all here. Um, you wouldn't believe it today when we were recording uh, this. It's like 40 degrees outside, but y'all are like post spring break, which in my mind suggests that like the weather should be getting warmer. I hope I hope that will happen soon. Alexis, how, how are you doing? Um, you're in electives now. Maybe have a little bit more time back in your schedule. Maybe found a found a daily like, you know, way to kind of. Fill your fill your time in your days uh, now that you're post core. Um, what what are you up to? Yeah, um, that's every time someone asks me if I have more free time, the answer is absolutely not because I just find ways to fill it. And so I like schedule my life as though I'm going to have free time and plan all these wonderful things to do with it. And then somehow my calendar is like booked 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. So, um, but no, it's really good and it's, it's it feels like a good things that my calendar is filled with like things I'm wanting to do more so and like looking forward to um one of those things that we just did was the basketball tournament this weekend for darting cup um i am overly competitive and so i walked away with a hurt knee and i'm on crutches now but otherwise everything was great um our section e men won so it was a net positive (laughs) good weekend oh man i am so sorry to hear about your knee (laughs) that's Um, okay Okay. Will it, will it keep you from other Darden Cup activities? You know, knowing myself, the answer is no, and I probably should, but I no. I'll be if I have to go to PT for a couple of weeks just to like get it back into fighting shape. And um, then I'll be, it's just because I have no business playing basketball. That's really the problem. If it was a tennis tournament, we would have been fine. I play tennis. I do not basketball, but I tried. So... <laughs> All right. Well, we have talked about Darden Cup a bunch here on the podcast. We had Kate Allen on. Uh, she is, is VP for, for Darden Cup. And it's one of those things uh, that we try to help prospective students understand just like how, one, how much fun it is. And two, how much energy around the school is it sort of directed towards Darden Cup and all the activities that happen during during the year. And it's one of, been one of the fun fun things to talk about here on the, on the podcast. So um, thank you, Alexis and and Minnie coming to you next. All right. You're in electives now you're post spring break. How are things going? 
I'm doing well. I actually just got back from seeing my family after three years. So I was in India for spring break. And uh, this week, actually, just like Alexis, I filled my calendar already with a bunch of stuff. Uh, the Dart and Drag show is next week. And so I'm helping with choreography for the Kings and the Queens and um, doing hair and makeup. So busy with that. And I'm also uh, writing some sketches for the Follies Comedy Club that we have at Darden. And so that's been keeping me busy. So it's nice to get away from a little bit of academics and focus more on the creative side of things that I've been missing. So overall, I think I'm doing well. Have you done anything like either of these activities before? That helping with drag show choreography, writing for the Follies? Have you any, any prior experiences in your life? I have never done either of those things and I'm, it's been really fun learning. I've done dancing before, but it's, it's cool to be part of the drag show. And then I never thought I was funny. So it's kind of interesting that I'm writing a folly sketch, but let's see how funny it is when it comes together. All right. Well, that's exciting. I think one of the things that has really come through for me talking with students on the podcast, particularly when they get post-core and they feel like maybe they have a little bit more time, a little bit more control over their time is that's where it becomes really about your priorities and passions and like what you want to make of this experience. And, and that's one of the threads that has really been clear to me as we talked with second year students. And obviously that, that journey begins uh, towards the end of your, your first year too. Um, so it's cool to hear how you and Alexis have been spending your time as of late. How about you, Angel? What have you been up to? So uh, for me, I spent spring break in uh, Cartagena, actually, along with Alexis and uh, a big group of our consortium family. It was a really great time. And then coming back uh, into Q4, um, you know, it, when we come back from these breaks, it always takes me a little while to sort of get back into the rhythm of things after being out of it for a little while. So that's kind of the headspace that I'm at right now. And I also feel like um, this quarter... Um, may not be as easy going as I was hoping it was going to be. May I might have to treat it like a Q1 or Q2 because I finished my recruiting early in the first half of the year. Um, and then the way that my recruiting turned out, I'm actually going to a group in the summer that I didn't really do a lot of corresponding with uh, back in the fall. And I've kind of left that for, for Q4. And then there's some other prep that I'm, I would like to do this quarter. And then of course, you know, there's this uh, liaison role that we've all thrust ourselves into. So just trying to get my head around, you know, what's what's to come in Q4 and getting myself prepped for the summer as well. So that's where I'm at. Well, spring break at Darden is is longer than other spring breaks that, that I've seen in, in higher ed. I, I come from a law school background. I went to college and, and law school. I think I was very used to having like a week. Um, it's more than a week, which uh, to your point, Angel, you come back. Maybe a little bit of rust, maybe a little bit of like your muscles have atrophied just a touch. Does that does that sound um, familiar to you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just just a teeny tiny bit. You know, I'm the type of person that um, I get a little bit overwhelmed when I have like a long list of to do's. And it's not until I sit down and kind of list them all out, maybe get cracking with like, you know, the the smaller items on my on my priority list, if you will, that I really start to, you know, build up that confidence and get back in the rhythm of things and start knocking things out. So yeah, uh, spring break definitely took me out of it a little bit. You know, it was well-deserved, and I think we had a great time. But it's time to get back to business, right? So here we are. All right. Well, thank you all for coming on the podcast. Uh, the occasion for our conversation is you are the new consortium liaisons and something of an annual tradition to have the 
new consortium liaisons on the show. Uh, talk a little bit more about your background and what attracted you to the role. Um, before we get to the, the role part of that conversation, would like to talk a little bit more about you and who you are and what you did before coming to Darden and, and your MBA journey. So, Minnie, would you mind kicking us off? Tell us a little bit more about what you did before coming to Darden. Sure. If I had to just say one sentence who I am, I say that I'm an extroverted engineer who loves to teach organic chemistry and promote DNI efforts. That's like my one-liner. But before Darden, I actually did a bunch of different things. Um, I have a master's in chemical engineering. And I worked in the automotive industry for about three and a half years. And uh, that was a really cool experience. Uh, but I was also the only female engineer in my, in my division, which was kind of challenging. Um, that's when I actually kind of started thinking about, you know, I want to be in more leadership positions where I can make a bigger impact. And, you know, one way to do that is potentially get an MBA. But I wasn't sure what I wanted to do with my MBA. So I thought, like everybody else, maybe consulting is the way to do it. And I actually ended up working for a boutique firm in Houston for about nine months when COVID happened. And I actually got laid off from my from my job. So I had to pivot a little bit. And that's when all the data analytics and working in tech became really big for all the flexibility and stuff. And um, so I decided to take some courses on Python and other data analytics um, and in the, at the same time, because I didn't have a job, I was actually tutoring organic chemistry and other STEM subjects. And I started my own business where I started hiring other tutors uh, during the pandemic because there was such a big uh, need for teachers during COVID. So I really leveraged that and uh, wanted to continue growing my business. And so as I was getting closer to applying to Darden, um, I felt that my entrepreneurial spirits and also wanting to get into tech a little bit was part of the reason why I came to Darden as well. So now here I am trying to grow my uh, tutoring business and figuring out how um, I'm going to continue it. So the tutoring business is still going? It is still going. I, I still have a couple of tutors that, um, that work for me. Um, yeah. Wow, that's awesome. Um, and uh, did you ever imagine that you would get into tutoring or that you'd be running a tutoring venture? I have always taught, actually, even in undergrad, my since I've been teaching these subjects in sophomore year of college, even when I had a full-time job as an engineer, I did it on the side because I love to teach, but I never thought it would be a viable source of income before. So when when push came to shove and I didn't have an income, it was, you know, I had to do what I had to do. And it turned out that there's so much demand for it that I could actually grow it into a business. And Damon DeVito, actually, um, he's one of the adjunct professors. He has been helping me uh, grow my business slowly. And that has been really cool. Well, if I have to mention one person who is mentioned seemingly all the time here on our admissions podcast, it's Damon DeVito, who is actually going to come on the show um, with a couple of student founders and talk about how they work together on those students' ideas. So I, I'm really excited about this episode. We're recording it very soon. Um, somebody who has been mentioned and mentioned and mentioned. And at some point as a podcast host, you wonder, like, is this the universe speaking to you? Like, I, maybe I should invite this guy on the podcast. And he was gracious enough and we found some time. And so I'm, I'm really excited about this conversation. So thank you, Minnie. Angel, how about you? Tell us a little bit more about your background. What did you do before coming to Darden? Absolutely. So before coming to Darden, um, I was specializing in compensation. So I sort of bounced around a couple of companies on their broad-based compensation teams. And it wasn't until I was working for Red Lobster 
Um, they had been acquired a couple of years prior to my arriving at Red Lobster. And so I was seeing sort of this transformation that the company was going through in sort of the midst of what was happening as this private equity, private equity firm, excuse me, was trying to turn the company around. And ultimately, they ended up, you know, selling them a, a few years later. And so um, when as I started to sort of learn more about what was going on at the company, it kind of got the gears turning in my head. I had never really thought about private equity or anything like adjacent such as venture capital or investment banking and so as i started sort of getting interested and, and curious about that that's what got me thinking about uh going back to school and, and pursuing an mba once i realized that you know that could be a potential path uh, to get into you know a space like investment banking uh private equity etc um so after a couple of years you know sort of biding my time waiting for the right moment having enough experience under my belt obviously prepping for the gmat um, I came to Darden because, uh, number one, it was my dream school from the start. I, I was, uh, raised in Orlando, uh, went to school in Orlando. Um, I've just loved, you know, being uh, raised in the South, spending time in the South and, and Darden, in my opinion, being the premier school in the South, it was again, my dream school from the jump. And so I think for me, it was a perfect match when I got, when I got that acceptance, when I got the call, um, I remember just like screaming at the top of my line. I had to put the phone on mute, of course, you know, but uh, yeah, so that's, that's why I'm here. And, and that was uh, one of the big drivers, of course, on top of, you know, some of the conversations that I had with, with students and alum. So. Those offer calls are invariably one of the highlights of, of the job working in admissions where you get to call people and, and share that good news. And um Occasionally, we get folks who cry and scream and all this, all this emoting, which is tremendous as a caller. Like it is, you already feel like you're sharing some good news, but you really particularly feel like people have put their heart and soul into these applications, right? It's a part of a dream. It's a process to this point. And it is humbling to be along for this journey. And it's particularly humbling uh, to make that call to a person and, and have them, you know, realize like, maybe their dream school or just the idea of being able to pursue an MBA is, is now, now a reality. So uh, thank you, Angel, uh, for sharing, for sharing your story. And, and Alexis, how about you? Um, what'd you do before coming to Darden? Yeah. So um, I, it's funny. It's, I knew their stories before this, but it's so interesting to hear them like in a different setting because it feels like I'm learning more. Um, but I am born and raised in Chicago. And for uh, undergrad, I went to Howard University. Um, for anybody that's listening that knows anything about Howard, I'm going to say HU and I really hope you say you know on the other side. Um, but so I went to Howard for undergrad. I was a finance major. And then uh, after, after undergrad, I went to work for Target. So I did... Um, I was on the executive leadership team. And so I did a lot of uh, people management, operations, solutions, kind of things, implementations at Target, loved retail, was really um, kind of enamored by the space. And then um, got promoted and moved back to Chicago. And I remember wanting to... And I always knew I wanted to go back to business school. I just didn't know like when. I had a plan that it was like, you know, get some years of experience under your belt and then go back to school was always my trajectory in my head. Um, and I remember going to, there's like an MBA tour that they do and they had a bunch of schools in Chicago and I went kind of like a, like a job forum, if you will. And you go to the booths and you talk to schools and I remember seeing Darden there and I was like super, super excited. 
but I had like severe imposter syndrome because I was coming from Target. And there are so many people that were coming from insert here, consulting firms or banking. And they were already in those positions that I was kind of hoping to pivot into after business school. And so I had a moment where I was like, maybe I shouldn't do this. Like maybe I'm just not cut out for this. And so I kind of panicked. Um, That was in 2019. And so I was like, you know, I went home and like drew up this whole master plan and was like, okay, we're just going to switch what we do. We're going to get like a new job and we're going to just like buckle down and study and practice and then just get ready to feel good about applying to school. And, um, and so funny because I ended up transitioning into Equinox, um, luxury fitness brand, loved doing sales and um, marketing for them. Such a fun time. And I thought that that was like way more impressive. And every interview I've had since recruiting, since getting into business school has been about my target experience. So just goes to show that like imposter syndrome is really like a mental game that I was playing with myself because everyone that I have, everyone in admissions, everyone along the recruiting process has been so enamored by what I did at Target. And we're like, yeah, Equinox is great too, but like Target, let's talk about that. Um, mostly because I think they want to know how to get discounts, but you know, other stuff too. <laughs> so um, I ended up getting into Darden, similar to Angel, had a whole like meltdown when I got my phone call. I did not mute it though. I was shameless in my crying on the phone. I was like in the car with my mom. So it was, it was a mix of like, oh my God, this could be a call saying I didn't get in. And I was really hoping that they just sent me an email if I didn't get in. <laughs> So I was like, mom, be quiet, but also like, don't look at me if I don't get in. Like, I don't want to admit it. So I uh, got in, obviously great things in here now. And um, I am going to be going into consulting this summer. So it worked out very well, but it was, it was, um, it was quite the journey getting there. Well, thank you for sharing that, Alexis. Uh, the yeah. imposter syndrome piece, the, well, there works in a couple different ways. Uh, one of the things that we talk about here on the podcast from time to time is how oftentimes prospective students will compare themselves to some idealized version of a prospective student uh, who comes from this particular background and has worked X number of years in a particular kind of industry. Uh, whether that person really exists, I don't think I don't think they do, but it's in people's minds, it's a real thing. And, and that is a challenge. And then you're right, when you go to these kind of in-person events or you're around other prospective students and you're hearing what they're doing, there's a tendency to kind of feel like, Oh, well, I'm, I'm not that. Um, yeah. And, you know, that kind of indexing to these other people. And what we so often try to remind people, it's easier to say than it is to do. But if you can do it, I think it's very powerful is to remember that your uniqueness, your difference, you, you're going to bring a ton uh, to uh, your application to the program because you are different uh, than other other folks. Um, and to see that difference as a strength rather than a weakness I think oftentimes prospective students may see it see it as a weakness, um, and and that that's hard. Uh, I recognize. Um, but any reactions? Any thoughts to that? Yeah, it's it's just funny because um, if you had asked a five year old Alexis to be on this podcast, I would have told you that I was going to med school, and so. Um, I don't know if anybody cares anything about astrology, but I'm a Virgo and I'm very much so fit that bill. I have, a, I live by a list. I'm very type A. And so I didn't think I would ever change my mind, but then I went to college and I was like, you know what? I just want my med school application to look different. So I'm going to go get a finance degree. And then I fell in love with business and I was like, oh crap, I'm changing my mind. And I wish I had remembered that differential like factor when it came to applying to business school. Cause I think to your point, like there's some traditionally, so many of us think business school is like, you know, get out of undergrad, go do Wall Street or banking or something for a couple of years, go back to business school. Or I mean, depending on who you are, maybe you don't want to, but like go back to business school, get the degree and then go back into management. 
And I think I just thought that was a way to go. And I forgot for that year of my life that it's so people were so intrigued by how different that path was. And that was like going to add to the classroom. Um, And it's true. It shows up in the case method all the time, like how different our collective class is and our different experiences. Like we have a classmate who ran a winery and I'm like, I'm, I'm positive. I was that person. I never would have thought like business school. Yeah, for sure. You know, what value do I have in the classroom? But like, I've learned a lot from that person. So it's really interesting hearing like, just getting that affirmation again. I just wish I knew that at the time, but you know, hindsight's 2020. So here we are. <laughs> That's all right. Well, we're sharing it here on the podcast. Maybe somebody who's listening, kind of thinking about these things, yeah. thinking about the application. And we do as an admissions committee really try to build for the classroom experience, right? So we are engaged in, we always talk about there's an imaginative aspect to the admissions evaluation process where when we're reading someone's application or we're interviewing a person, we are trying to project forward into their Darden experience. Think about who they will be in the classroom, outside the classroom, kind of teammate and classmate they're going to be, how they're going to show up for other people and what they're going to trib- contribute uh, to those conversations. So um, a big part of what, what's on our mind and why, why that difference, to your point, is, is so important. Um, well, thank you all for sharing more about your backgrounds. Um, Angel, I'd like to come to you to kind of kick us off on this next question, something we talk about here on the podcast is the adjustment to business school, um, to graduate business school, Darden specifically. People come, they're in the first year, they're balancing a lot, going through the core curriculum, uh, move to a new place, all of these kinds of things. Uh, what were the what were the learning curves for you, and, and how did you how did you work through those? Um, I think that this idea that you hear um, when you're, you know, an incoming prospective student, if you, if you talk to folks, you hear this idea that you have like three pillars, right? Um, social, there's a social aspect to business school. There's obviously the academic uh, aspect. And then, you know, uh, one of the number one reasons anyone comes to business school is to get a job, right? So there's the career and recruiting aspect. And it's just so true, right? That you, you, you sort of index into two at the, at the expense of another sort of sort of thing. And so that very quickly became super apparent, right? It's like one thing to hear it, but then another thing to, to really live it out. So like those first couple of weeks in business school, like really trying to grind out and like read every case and like do all the work and like just being like this, you know, solo machine that's like trying to take on everything and then recruiting events, which was fine for a while, you know, for the first couple of weeks. And then recruiting starts for banking that track starts like you're three or four weeks in tops. I don't remember exactly. It was like three ish weeks in. And then you've got that recruiting layer added on top. Right. And it's early in business school. So you're also like trying to, again, index into like that social aspect and get to know people before, you know, uh, y- you know, you want to have a good experience, make friends, et cetera, et cetera. And so you're trying to do all the things. And uh, it-, it was nice to have, you know, I, we haven't really addressed consortium uh, that much just yet, but to be able to have that network um, because it was able, I was able to sort of use that a little bit as a crutch, right. To, to sort of be able to stand on that I already have sort of a, a network built in for social activities, social events, gatherings, uh, or even as a backup, uh, you know, on the academic side to get some help. Like, Hey, you know, these numbers aren't mathing for me, you know, can you kind of help me here? And then even for recruiting, you know, sharing and pooling resources. Um, so yes, definitely a huge learning curve, but I think that with consortium, 
Um, I, I felt really good about my Q1, honestly, when I, when I look back on it. Again, I also early did early recruiting and, and thankfully was successful in that. And so that was able to take a little bit of the pressure off of me. Well, thank you for talking about the consortium. Um, and I know it's an important community. We just had Sakari Brown here on the podcast, and she was talking about all the support, all the connections she's made through the consortium network at, at Darden. And uh, for consortium members, the recruiting process um, starts even prior to matriculation, right, with OP? Yeah, so the orientation programming um, for, I think the prep started April 15th. As soon as the deadline happened, we started the OB prep. And it was like a weekly thing where the consortium liaisons, along with the admissions, uh, the career center, um, put together a series of webinars for us to prepare us for the OP programming in uh, in June. And it was virtual this past year, but it is going to be in person in Colorado this upcoming year. And it was it was great. I think because of the OP prep, I got to learn so much about the other consortium students. And before I had even gotten to Darden, I already knew so many people and which actually helped with the transition into the MBA, MBA journey because you don't realize how much you lose when you start your MBA. I mean, your life is completely going to change. I didn't have time to talk to my friends back at home. I was barely keeping in touch with my family because I was so involved with everything that was happening at Darden. I mean, you really do hit the ground running and it, it, it's very easy to get get really involved with all the things that are going around you and forgetting everything that was your life before Darden. I mean, it took me what seven months now to realize that, you know what, I really need my dancing back in my life because that's how I was keeping sane. Like I need to bring back the habits that I had before, but core is just very rigorous. And uh, the transition was definitely tough coming, coming to business school for me. Were there any strategies, many that helped you? I mean, I, what Angel shared about you start off in like the first few weeks, I think one of the hardest things is you're adjusting the case method. It's a new environment. You're meeting a lot of new people. You've got a learning team. You got to figure out how to work together. You're just, you know, in a new place. I mean, there's a lot of newness. And when you read cases, I don't know, it takes a while to figure out the filter, like what's important um, as you read and, you know, you're learning about things maybe you have no prior exposure to. So there's also different learning curves combined with the fact that like, Oh, well, you, you got a lot of really smart, talented people. So you're also trying to figure out where you can add value in these conversations. Um, what, what do you think about when you look back on those first couple of months? I, I agree. And the, the, I just like Angel, I was trying to do it all. It's just not possible. And I think that's the point. You cannot do it all. You have to pick and choose. And as future leaders, there's a lot that's going to be thrown into our faces. And it's up to us to decide what's important and what's not. And that's what Darden is preparing us for. So by throwing us into the deep end, you know, we had to figure out how to swim. And that was figuring out what was the best way to read cases. And the 80-20 rule, like 80% of the time needs to be spent as efficiently as possible on 20% of the things that you want to do is something I had heard from a professor. And that really resonated with me because I, instead of reading the cases front to back, just maybe reading the beginning, don't do this. 
prospective students. But, you know, that is something that did help me. I didn't read every nitty gritty detail because you physically just don't have the time. I started prioritizing the cases that interested me or I started prioritizing the relationships that I was more interested in building with, you know, either the students or the faculty members. You you have to learn quickly. And that's part of the skill that you're building being in the MBA program. One of the things um, that I think is also true for folks as you come to Darden is I'm not sure the the prioritization that Minnie has talked about here, I'm not sure people have had to do that at another point in their life. Like this is the first time I think for almost everyone in the NBA community here, Alexis, that they've had to really reckon with like a finite amount of time in the day and not being able to fit everything in. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I really thought that coming to school. I was like, I've done this. Like I'm an adult. I pay bills. I go to work. I go out on the weekends. I love a good brunch. Like I got this. I did not have this. Um, I don't think anybody had it to Minnie's point. Um, so I was kind of in a, a little bit of a different situation, sort of. So I got my, I did do early recruiting at OP per Angel's um, mention and similar to Minnie had uh, multiple interviews, a couple, a few job offers. And then um, I ended up Taking, like, I ended up having a job offer before school actually started. And so for me, that was like, and this is obviously very uh, specific to the consortium community that's listening to this podcast. But for me, that was something that was extremely important for me to prioritize because I know myself. And with those three options of like school, social, and then recruiting, I was going to get under, I was going to feel like I was underwater very quickly. And so to the best that I could navigate, I tried to like spurt, like sparse out what I could. And that was the recruiting piece really early on. But per what I said earlier in the episode, you'd think that freed up time. It did not. Instead, I found other ways to fill my time. And so I spent a lot of time helping other people go through the recruiting process or do things with admissions or whatever the case may be, because that, and then kind of starting to do different DNI efforts, because that was super important to me. And I like knew that if I was going to kind of free up this space of my time, I wanted to fill it um, intentionally. And then but to Minnie's point and to your point, Brett, like we didn't, there's never really been a space in anyone's life. Maybe college, like undergrad is the closest you've been to having to kind of navigate this kind of time management. But even in college, like for all intents and purposes, like you didn't have much going on outside of your school bubble and very little to worry about. I mean, and that's very overgeneralization. Obviously it's unique for some circumstances. Um, but this is like, you have class at 8am, you get out at 1.10pm. That is just true for your first three quarters. There might be a day that you get out a little bit earlier and um, some random days where you'll do like, you know, simulations or things, but go with 8am to 1pm. And that seems like we've been working nine to five, like eight to one is fine. It's not, like it's great. I love it. And, and looking back at it, I'm, I'm glad we made it through it, but it is an adjustment truly, you know? And, and then we have like these time treasured traditions of like a cold call on a Thursday where the whole community gets together and like hangs out on the lawn and eats and drinks and just like, just has community. And then we have, you know, TNDC in the evening. And then we, that's, that's Thursday. And then we go all the way to Sunday and then start all over again. And then by then there's like, you know, so many things that you want to take advantage of. And I think to Minnie's point, like you're not supposed to do it all. And I think that's the beauty of it. And I think it is really one of those like scary design tactics that someone in the powers that be really thought this through and are doing it well. Um, and that you have to pick the things that matter to you the most and really pick. And it's okay if you get it wrong the first couple of times, if you think like, you know what, I really want to do this social thing. And you feel like you're missing out on other activities. Like 
there are 25 more of them coming and it's okay to pick and choose, you know, when you do. Um, And that's like also a shameless plug for like second year coaches and second years, really leveraging them and us, I guess, as liaisons, because we've done it for all intents and purposes. And then we can help you understand, like, is this the thing that you want to be missing? Is this the thing you don't want to be missing? Um, It's just nice to have people that you don't have to reinvent the wheel for. So. I think that last point is such a good one because one of the things that I've learned about in doing these conversations is the extent to which second years play a really important role in helping first years navigate the first year experience. So you mentioned second year coaches. I just interviewed uh, the second year tutor chairs who lead that that program. Um, There's all the connection that happens within uh, the clubs and organizations, particularly those that are, that are career oriented. Mm -hmm. Um, But just beyond that, all, all, even the affinity clubs, there's a lot of, a lot of support that comes. And of course, then you have communities like the consortium Uh, to, to your point, you, you do not have to invent the wheel here. There are other people who've gone before you pick their brains, see what suggestions they might have for you. And, and I do think that there's a fair amount of trial and error early on. Like you're not going to get it all right from the very beginning. Great if, it, if you do, but don't expect that you will. So. I don't know anybody that got it right the first time, like anybody. And I've, I've asked because I was like, maybe I just am bad at this. No, I don't, I don't know anybody that got it right the first time. And my transition, I think, was just my for me, it was unique coming from Chicago to Charlottesville because it was like such a shock that it was so small, I think was my biggest shock. I've never lived in a suburb in my life. And so that was for me, the biggest piece of transition. But once you build your community here, like it kind of, that's so inconsequential. It doesn't really make a difference anymore. Um, Q1 Alexis would be shocked that I am saying this right now, but you know, here growth is what's happened here. So um, it's really, it is really nice to have like this community of people around and to your point, Sakari mentioned it, I'm sure on her, on her episode, like, we are a really, her and I are very close and like in a close t- a close knit friend group. And um, it's just, a, it's a very nice thing once you have it. And, and once you've kind of mastered it and it might take you four quarters, which it kind of did. Um, but once you get it, like it's there for life and it's a really good feeling. And, and I think some of that connection is more possible in a place like Charlottesville where the school uh, is not just the focus of your academic life. It's also your social life and all of these things are layered and integrated together. Um, in bigger cities, I think people tend to scatter a little bit more. So your connections are a little bit more fleeting. They're, they're, the, the relationships may be a little bit more to the surface, not, not quite as deep because, well, you don't have to, I mean, you have a lot of other things going on in your, your life, other than, a lot of other things competing for your time. So Let's talk about the consortium. Um, the, the reason for, for our conversation here, y'all are all new consortium liaisons. Congratulations on your role. Some of our listeners uh, may not necessarily know too much about the consortium or maybe learning a little bit more about it as we go here, maybe Googling uh, while, we, while we're talking. Um, Alexis, would you mind telling us a little bit more about what the consortium is? Yeah. So the consortium is um, basically it's founded as like the nation's largest diversity network. And so really the, the it was founded in with the ideals of getting black and brown students into higher education, specifically into business school. Um, so it's grown so much over time. So it started with a small group of, correct me if I'm wrong on this, like 13 initial schools or around that number. And we've grown substantially. We've now, um, collected a couple new premier schools. There's a huge part to have a part of our network. And so the consortium not only is a network of diverse talent that's going to go into these higher education programs and, um, 
and into business schools and later into management. Um, but it's just a, it's a system that basically sets it up so that we have the opportunity to apply to multiple schools and have um, access to funding to get in like through the programs. Um, so it just creates a equity across the system when it comes to business school for diverse talent across the board. Um, It is important to note, it's not exclusive to just Black, Brown, and Indigenous talent. Um, That is something that has changed since its foundation. So allies and um, white white people are welcome to join the consortium as long as they are. And it's part of your application process, as long as you are following the mission and you are about the mission and wanting to make sure that we create the advancement for um, diverse talent to go through the pipeline. Well, thank you for for getting us started on on this part of the conversation, Alexis. Minnie, um, you had mentioned earlier that DE&I is one of your real passion areas. I'm wondering, is that the inspiration for you to serve as a a consortium liaison? What led you to, you know, say, "This this is something that's a priority for me as I move into my second year? Yes. So consortium has just given me so much, honestly, because I think the friends that I've made and that real sense of belonging that I've really lacked. So I'm originally from India and I moved to the U.S. about 12 years ago. So I'm stuck in that weird space of being kind of American, kind of Indian. And I've always struggled with my identity. And I just felt like with consortium, I could be myself and I felt like people accepted me for who I was. And that meant everything. And I just want to be able to pay it forward and help build a community that brings people together where people feel like they can be themselves and, you know, they can find their place. And that's part of the reason why I want to be a consortium liaison for the first year students. That's such a powerful testimonial. Um, When you think about, you know, someone's reasons for for joining an organization for wanting to serve in, in this way, um, Angel, how about you? Uh, what led you to say, I'd like to be a consortium liaison? Um, so for me, it's been the, the few moments where I've had a chance to sort to now as a first year, you know, being sort of on the other side of things uh, in terms of the application process and having exposure to applicants and, and then getting to hear their story and, 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 you know, um, I spent a weekend in Philly uh, in Q2 and on the drive back, uh, my my buddy and I, we were talking to a, a prospective uh, applicant and just, you know, getting in his head, hearing his story, you know, strategizing, giving him advice on like what schools to apply to, how to go about the process, who he needed to talk to at Darden, you know, any way that we could help. Um, and, and so I've had a couple of similar conversations uh, in the time since. And I think that that is where, like all through, you know, Q1 and Q2 in terms of like my involvement with different clubs and um, associations on grounds, consortium is where I've felt more drawn to in terms of like the interactions that I've had with people and like the, what I feel like I've been able to like to put into it as well as get out of it in terms of like that reward and that fulfillment, that instant gratification of like, I'm helping this person or like I'm, I'm somehow passing along this this knowledge and it might be of, of use to someone, um, that's what really drew me to the liaison role. So you mentioned that Darden was a dream school for you. What's it like? All right. So you start answering prospective student calls. You're no longer the prospective student. You're now the first year student at Darden. Um, what's it like to be on the other side of that conversation? Feels really good. Yeah. <laughs> it feels great. Um, yeah, I, I definitely, so Darden was, my dream school. Um, and so I do, 
I do like to advocate for Darden 100%, but then take it back to, right, uh, the three of us are consortium liaisons. And so when I'm talking to people on the phone, I just, I really am interested in, in like what's best for them. Um, so, you know, we will, we'll strategize and we'll talk about different programs and, and where their, their best fit might be. You know, I really like to try to try to get to know um, them and the little time that, w- that we have and, and try to sort of give them my, my honest opinion. But I still, you know, at the end of the day, uh, in my opinion, I think Darden is, is a hidden gem. I think that um, we have some incredible people here. There's some incredible faculty, um, as incredible professors. And uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm Darden all day. All right. Well, thank you, Angel. And Alexis, coming to you, uh, same question. Uh, why did you decide that consortium liaison, that was what you wanted, wanted to uh, do as, as you move into your second year? Yeah, um, I, there's so many reasons. I think uh, Angel is, I can confirm, he is truly Darden uh, through and through all the way. Um, and I think when it comes to consortium, just like really basing it off of the mission, um, just enhancing diversity and inclusion on a global scale, education-wise and in leadership. Um, to me, that's something that I've done in every role that I've been in, in some form or fashion. It's just grown as I've progressed through my career. And obviously, having gone to an HBCU, I feel like it's ingrained in the fabric of who I am. It's something um, DNI is just, I secretly hope that one day it doesn't exist because we won't need the you know effort. It will just be an equitable space. Um, but for me specifically with the consortium liaison, I think it really boils down to the people that I was working with and the support that I received along the way throughout my Darden journey, whether it was pre-Darden or now that I'm matriculated into Darden. Um, and I just know how pivotal and like Dutch, I mean, and how like beneficial they were to me and what I would love to give back to someone else. I very much so one of my personal like missions in life and just beliefs is that, um, I strive to occupy spaces that weren't necessarily designed for me so that I can keep the door open to bring people behind me that don't necessarily look like me and maybe a little bit even more different to just really continue to diversify the space. Um, And so certain faculty and staff and students, very huge shout out to and plug to Christy Julian. She's been like my lifeline at the school since I've been here. And she is a huge part of consortium as well as uh, Christian West, both of the Christians. And they've just been such a support system. And then all of our second years that were part of our journey. So Sarah Rafa, she's um, and then all the second years that mentored us through the process. Like I can truly say, and I hate to give them too much credit on get their heads too big, but I'm like, I can truly say that, I'm only as successful at Darden as I am right now and have was able to get the opportunities in the dream job that I was looking for before even starting because of their guidance and because of their just like help and their, you know, maturity throughout the whole process. And I can only hope to do the same for students behind me. Um, and similar to Angel, I talked to a lot of prospective students and I've been just so excited about, you know, their fresh set of eyes and their excitement coming into the program. And I just want to continue to cultivate that and really show them that like, we are so much fun here. We have a great time. This is a community that we want to continue to grow and want to encourage the, the difference and the change makers to come here. And we, there's so much space and opportunity and time to do great things at Darden. And I think we have the ability to just take it to the moon. And I hope to do that. We got to get Christy Julian back on the podcast. We interviewed her like right when she got to Darden and uh, needed to come back around. Uh, she's got a lot of good things. 
uh, going on. Always one of the most interesting, fun people to talk to. She is such a hilarious lady. Um, That's someone you has, might want to get a. You might want to get visual. She'll have like really crazy glasses that day. I'm sure. <laughs> a strong eyewear game. Is yeah. How I would, how I would describe Kristen mm-hmm. Julian. And for those of you who are wondering who the two Christians are, uh, that would be Christian West and Christian Robinson. They've both been here on the podcast and would recommend both of the interviews. We, we interviewed Christian Robinson not so long ago. Christian West, you're going to have to go back a little ways. When he first came to Darden, we had him on. And he, got, he works very closely uh, with the consortium population and uh, leads our, our diversity uh, recruitment efforts. So, um, busy year ahead, undoubtedly, for, for all of you. Um, Probably will begin uh, within the next month or so as you as you help the students get ready for OP out in Colorado. Excited to hear that that's going to be in person. Um, Minnie, what are you looking forward to in the year year ahead when you think about your role as a consortium liaison? I think for me the biggest thing is I want to be that person that people can feel comfortable with and rely on to come talk about whether it's academics or them feeling social anxiety because FOMO is going to happen. And as someone who has struggled in, you know, trying to find where I fit in and trying to find my friend group, you know, if I can, I really empathize with people when they're struggling with stuff like that. So if I can be a resource in any of those things and feel like I'm making a difference in someone's life, I mean, to me that I feel like I would have met my goal. You're right that those are all things that, that people struggle with when they come to a new community, when they're navigating something like like business school, um, you know, you're trying to trying to find your place. Uh, and you, you come from a world where you're probably pretty well known, uh, whether it was your, your community at home, your office, whatever environment you were in before. And business school can feel like like starting over in, in, in some ways. Um, and so I, I appreciate that point. Angel, how, how about you? What are you looking forward to? In the, in, the, in the year ahead. So I haven't actually floated this uh, to anyone except for maybe Alexis and Minnie, um, but I spent a lot of time looking at employment reports um, when I was in the process of applying. I sort of lived by those as well as like, so, you know, I was really looking at like the hard numbers and stats and things like that for, um, for uh, across programs in terms of their admission statistics. And one of the things that I found interesting, you know, was that there weren't, you couldn't drill down and find diverse candidates. And I would really love to try to work on some sort of initiative where perhaps we could incorporate that into uh, uh, maybe not something as formal as an, an employment report, but, something, some resource uh, where prospective students could get a better, uh, diverse students could get a better idea of what the opportunities are like here at Darden for them as minority candidates. So. All right. So, so maybe some career reporting, uh, you know, work in, in your future. Um, that's, that's interesting. And I, I think about, we have this conversation all the time within our admissions team. It does feel like prospective students are particularly focused on on career outcomes, which makes sense, right? Uh, given the the investment that you're making, the fact that this is professional school, right? You're doing this in service of your career. Uh, it is school, right? You, you're hopefully excited about the learning, but at the end of the day, after roughly two years in Charlottesville, I think people want to know what kind of what kind of jobs. Uh, what will the job look like? Uh, the salary. What are my options here? What's possible? Um, so I can understand why that why that would be on your mind. 
Um, Alexis, how about for you? Consortium liaison, moving into the second year. What are you looking forward to? Yeah, uh, it's funny because as consortium liaisons, like the three of us technically have pillars that we align to. So whether it's like social, academic, or uh, career. Um, and so I feel like this podcast is really starting to flesh out that Angel should probably think about uh, focusing on career. <laughs> Minnie and I might swap between academics and social, or all three of us will do all three. But um, I think for me, I'm really looking forward to just truly creating a deeper, more intentional bond with everyone in consortium and really cultivating that with the new class of students that comes in and really making sure that we kind of usher them in in a, sp- in a way, in a space that's just um, for create space for them and allows them to understand and believe that they have the right to be here and to just thrive in every setting that they're in. Um, I think we have a really unique opportunity because... <clears throat> This is the first time in, I mean, it feels like 20 years, 2019 was like three years ago, but the first time that there will be two consecutive classes that have both had the in-class experience. Um, Ours obviously started off masked, but we didn't have, we haven't had any virtual experience. So I'm excited to be able to have had an in-person experience and kind of usher in the new class with their version of an in-person experience um, and really being there for them in, in every facet of the word and however we can mentor them. Um, And then just in terms of second year, I'm just so excited uh, that I get to pick whatever classes I want to (laughs) take. I'm just excited to like do things that I think are super exciting and um, fun, which don't get me wrong, like Shane and Elena, I loved your classes. I'm just saying I get to choose them this time. Um, And I'm excited for a lot of the things that we have planned across the board just at Darden at large. So whether it's consortium, whether it's DSA related, BBSA and and all the other acronyms of all the clubs that you guys will learn. Um, But I am very excited for the programming that is coming um, because I think we have a ton of ideas as a class of 2023 and we are freakishly excited for class of 24 to get here so we can kind of like show you guys what's going on. And for our listeners, if you're wondering who Shane and Elena are, um, they are Darden faculty members, perhaps who need no introduction, but just for those of you who are less familiar with the Darden faculty lineup, that's Shane DeColey, an accounting faculty member, much beloved accounting faculty member. Um, he won basically the Grand Slam of faculty awards uh, in one of his first years here, maybe even his first year. He won the full-time award. He won the executive award. He was a faculty marshal. And uh, Elena Lutskina, also equally equally beloved uh, finance uh, faculty member here at, at Darden, teaches in the core and also a number of electives. Um, we asked the same last question of all of our, our guests here. Angel, I wonder if you could start us off just a, just a piece of advice. I feel like there's been a lot of advice here on this <laughs> conversation, but what, you know, what's better than some advice? More advice, I guess. Um, so if you wouldn't mind, just a, a word of advice as folks who are listening to this, maybe gear up for starting their MBA program or think about starting their MBA program. Yeah, so this is going to sound contrarian, given that we kind of talked about, you know, that there's pillars and you can only do so much. But I would say definitely invest in building bonds, I would say, with with your section to some, you know, a lot of those section events, um, Darden Olympics, um, the cold calls, the TNDCs. I mean, that's that's where everything happens. And so, uh, you know, I definitely invested some time there early on uh, to build relationships. And I think that it's definitely paid dividends. I like that idea. Say, just say yes. Um, you, you'll figure it out. And 
And we have we always talk here on the podcast about the adjustments. Q one, Q two. You're learning a lot. You're, there's a lot coming at you. Uh, you're you're learning how to be a business school student. You're navigating the core, as as has been noted here. You're also navigating career, and oh, by the way, being a member of the Darden community. But um, there's also a lot of excitement with all of that. You're you're making friends. You're getting engaged with things. Uh, hopefully, all you're starting to feel a bit more settled. Um, here. And so I like the idea of, uh, of saying yes. Alexis, how about you? Um, word of advice for our listeners? Yeah, I would absolutely echo Angel. I would say challenge yourself to say yes to things that you normally wouldn't. Um, so there's like, there's polo matches in the summer here and like early fall, which from the city girl, I was like, what in the heck is that? Like, I have no interest, but it's such an interesting experience. It's really fun that I would not have done had someone not been like, we should try it. It'll be fun. Um, so I would say definitely try things that you wouldn't normally say yes to and take advantage of all of the opportunities to network. Um, sometimes network sounds really transactional and it feels inauthentic and it can be that if that's what you make it. Um, but if you take the opportunities for a first coffee, a second coffee, a walk around uh, grounds, first coffee and second coffee are breaks that we have throughout the school year. Um, just every day, you'll have a first coffee at 9.25 and a second coffee at 10, 11 something, 11.25, I think. Um, I just go when the, when the class is over. But um, take the opportunity to talk with someone that you don't know, um, talk with professors that you haven't really chatted with. Something I did in, in my section was at the beginning of first coffee, I would look around the room and see six people I hadn't really made a connection with yet by Q2. And I just invited like six people on a calendar, checked everyone's schedule and said, Hey, I'm inviting you guys to lunch. Like we haven't had time to spend together and you guys don't really hang out together. And so like, let's talk. And I've been able to build a lot of relationships that way. And it's just a nice, very low key way of doing things rather than a big setting. So if you thrive in smaller settings, there is space for you to do that here. And I would highly, highly encourage it. And it's also okay to say no. I know I just had a lot of say yes, but it's okay to say no and take time for yourself. All right. I'm trying to keep up with the advice. Say yes. <laughs> say yes to things that you might not necessarily thinking about, think about saying yes. And then also to, say no. <laughs> but also be okay to say no. Uh, so I, 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 I said at the top that we were going to get a little contrarian. I, yeah. And you, it's true. It's the same advice that we got. And I just, you don't realize it until it's happening that, you're like, yeah, no, it's because to Minnie's point, and I'm sure she'll talk about the FOMO again. And like you have it. And but sometimes you realize that the FOMO is just it's not as bad as when you just exhaust yourself trying to do every single thing. Right. So like say yes to a TNDC at least one time. Right. Don't say no every single time. But if you go and you're like, it's not really my thing, then it's OK to say no again. Um, but I would I would not shun anything until you've at least tried it. Your point about lunch is a really interesting one, Alexis. We had Tyler Kelly and Mariah Horner here on the podcast not so long ago, and they were really passionate and excited about helping make connections amongst students who may not necessarily have connected uh, during during the first year or you know first years and second years that may not naturally meet and encounter each other. That's where they were really spending a lot of time and, and thinking about what they might want to accomplish in the, in the year ahead. So, I mean, it's a small community. It's seen 335 students per class. You've got your section there. That's a very natural place to get started. It's a, it's a cool idea. Just inviting people to lunch. If you haven't, haven't met them yet. I, I like that. All right, Minnie, you get the last word here. Um, word of advice for our listeners. 
I think the biggest thing I would say to them is you deserve a place at these top institutions. You are worthy of being here because you have gotten in. And even if you're thinking about applying, you should do it because I wasn't even going to apply to Darden because I didn't think I was good enough. But then I was, I met Mark Paulo, um, who was the previous um, admissions person at, at a MAPS event. And he convinced me to apply to Darden and here I am. And so that's my first piece of advice. Like believe in yourself, be kind to yourself. It will happen and you do deserve to be here. My second piece of advice is you are going to be very uncomfortable as you're going through the MBA process because you are going to meet people who are very different from you and you should embrace the discomfort. It is very easy to want to just be comfortable and be with the same group of people that you always hang out with, do the same things that you always want to do because Darden does throw a lot at you and you want the comfort because there's when else would you be comfortable, but embrace the discomfort because it will pay off in the end. All right. Two pieces of advice. I like it. Um, strong finish, Minnie. And um, uh, your, your point about, you know, put yourself out there, take, take the chance, uh, apply. You know, the old 100% of shots not taken are, are absolutely missed. You know, one of those like um, kind of thoughts like, you know, I think, I, I think we have so much respect from the admissions end for people who are willing to kind of take the time, put in, put in an application, put in that work, tell their story. You know, and, and there is a there is a, a vulnerability to that, right? To say, hey, look, I, I you know, I, this is who I am, um, and you know, I'd like to be a part of this community. And, and you don't know how it's going to work out. There's an uncertainty there, um, but we we have so much respect for it. And, and obviously, from an admissions committee standpoint, we love helping people navigate this journey. And there is so much support beyond the admissions team. You have all talked about like conversations you've had with prospective students and how people helped you along your journey. And so uh, I'd like just to reiterate that as you go through these things, whether you join us for a webinar or a workshop or schedule a, a call, a conversation, reach out to a current student, you're, you're not alone as, as, as you navigate this. So thank you all for, for a great podcast conversation. Congratulations on your new roles as consortium liaisons. It's been so much fun catching up with you here. And a pleasure. Thank you thanks, for having Brent. us. Yeah, thanks for having us. And that was my interview with three first-year students in our full-time MBA class of 2023 and the consortium liaisons, newly named here at the Darden School of Business, Alexis Orr, Minnie Lahoti, and Angel Monroy. As always, if you have any comments, suggestions, requests, anything you'd like for us to cover here on the podcast, we're all ears. We can be reached at Darden, that's D-A-R-D-E-N, at virginia.edu. Until next time, stay safe, be well. And thanks for listening.